Well, go ahead and take your Bibles and don't turn to Romans. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. This is a familiar verse, I imagine, I'm sure, to most of you. Um, I would imagine some of you even have this verse memorized. It's a verse that's near and dear to all of our hearts. One of the most difficult verses to consistently apply and put into practice uh, in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, In everything, give thanks. Some of your translations might say, in all circumstances, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to thank you and to express our gratitude to you. And for some of us, this was more difficult this morning than others because we're facing some difficult circumstance, some painful trial, and those words weren't as easy to sing as maybe they have been in the past, but Lord, I pray that as we consider what your word says and we know what your word says is your will for our lives, would you grant us grace in Christ to embrace this command that Paul gave us here and that you would grant us grace to apply it in our lives on a daily basis, all for your glory and your honor and your praise. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we as Americans have set aside the fourth Thursday in November every year to gather with family and friends and reflect on the many ways that God has blessed us. I assume many of you took some time, perhaps while sitting around the table eating some pie or maybe letting your food settle to share what you were most thankful for. But can you imagine if every day was Thanksgiving Day. Well, I would say this, I think we'd all be overweight from all the food we couldn't resist eating and we'd all be in debt from all the Black Friday deals that we can't resist buying. But we'd also be a lot more grateful as a result of the daily opportunity to consider and to communicate to both God and others what we're thankful for. Well, I don't need to tell you this, but as Christians, we don't need a special holiday to express our gratitude to God and others. It's something we should be in the habit of doing all day, every day, and for everything. And that's the point of this, this verse, which is perhaps the most familiar verse in the New Testament about how followers of Jesus Christ are to be thankful at all times and for all things. And with Thanksgiving still on our minds and our, in our hearts, I thought it would be helpful to just simply and briefly unpack this verse in a way that I trust will be understandable and applicable. And it really breaks up into four 
sections uh, or four questions for our time this morning that, that I hope will help cultivate a thankful attitude in all of our lives. We're going to apply the, the journalistic questions to this verse, the, the who, what, where, why, when questions that we all learned, right, when writing that newspaper article or that journal article that you had to write when you were in uh, junior high. And so let's ask some questions of this verse. The first question is what? What? What are we to do? Well, very simply, we are to give thanks. Now, the context here is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, and as he was concluding this letter to the Christians there uh, in the city uh, of Thessalonica, uh, in this final paragraph, he listed a, a series of eight short commands, kind of in rapid-fire succession, starting there in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. These are basic commands that every Christian should know and obey. These are uh, the basic instructions for Christian living. They, they could be likened to the ABCs of the Christian life. And the first three commands focus on the kind of attitudes that should characterize the life of every Christian. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. So we should have a joyful attitude, we should have a dependent attitude, uh, uh, an attitude that is uh, unceasing in our prayer, and we should have a, a grateful attitude or a, an attitude of gratitude, if you will. And that is one of the most basic characteristics of a Christian, that we are thankful, we are grateful. And so Paul says here, give thanks. This is a present active imperative which means it's not a suggestion. This is not just a good idea. This is not some optional item in this list. This is a command. And it's not something that we just do some of the time when we feel like it or one day a year, right, if it's Thanksgiving Day or, or maybe when things work out the way we wanted them to. But this is an all the time, no matter what is going on in our lives kind of command. In other words, gratefulness should be an ongoing expression of our lives as Christians. Now, Paul wasn't telling the believers there in Thessalonica to be anything that he wasn't. Paul's own life was characterized by thankfulness. And if you are familiar with Paul's letters, you know that thankfulness was a dominant theme in Paul's letters. Let me give you some examples, and you are free to follow along if you'd like. Uh, it seems that every one of Paul's letters started off by him expressing his gratitude to God, gratitude for the people he was writing to. For example, Romans, uh, we've been studying that together, Romans chapter 1, verse 8, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse four, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter one, verse 16, 
For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which is just among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Philippians chapter one, verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians chapter one, verse three, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse two, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Verse 13 There is no verse 13. So how about 2 Thessalonians 1.3? Maybe that's where I was going. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. It was chapter 2, verse 13 is what I was thinking about. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Now, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter. One, verse three, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. And then Philemon, verse four, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayer. So obviously Paul assigned a high priority to being grateful. It was like the first thing out of his mouth whenever he communicated with someone. He was constantly expressing his gratitude to God and other people. I mean, it's hard to imagine meeting or being around a more thankful person than the Apostle Paul. So I asked, what is, what is it like to meet you? What's it like to, to hang around you? Would people characterize you as a, a grateful person? Or one who is more often heard griping and complaining? Do you assign a high priority to being grateful? Do you make it a point to express your gratitude to other people, especially when they serve you well or do something for you or provide for you in some way? See, all of us need to be developing a habit of regularly expressing our gratitude to God and others. And at the same time, we need to be encouraging others to express their gratefulness to God and others as well. This is what Paul was doing here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, in everything give thanks. He was encouraging people to give thanks to God and one another, just like he had modeled. And so that's the what. We are to give thanks but when are we supposed to do that? This is the second question we can ask this verse. When? When are we to give thanks? Well, it says there very clearly, in everything. And by the way, one of the things I like about the New American Standard translation, and that's why I use it to preach from, is because it, it tries to be faithful to the original uh, Greek and Hebrew. And even in the word order, and so in the original Greek text, 
in everything comes first. And Paul had a reason why he didn't just say give thanks in everything. He, he really put the harder thing first, right? He said in everything. In other words, that's what I'm getting at. In everything, that's the emphasis, give thanks. In everything, in every circumstance, no matter what happens to us, no matter the situation we find ourselves in, there's always something for which we can be thankful. However, that's a lot easier said than done, is it not? I mean, it's easy to be thankful when everything's going the way we want it to, but when things don't work out the way we had hoped or expected, it's, it's difficult to be thankful. And I think verses like this exist in God's word because God knew that all of us would be in situations at times in which it would be hard to be thankful. And yet he wants us to always be thankful regardless of our circumstances. Notice Ephesians 5 verse 20. Paul was explaining what it looked like to be filled with the Spirit. What was the evidence that you were a Spirit-filled believer? Well, you spoke to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord so that you were joyful. Verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. He repeats the same exhortation in Colossians chapter 3, Verse 17, talking about the word of Christ richly dwelling within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So no matter what we face in life, we never have an excuse for being ungrateful. We need to always have a a grateful attitude, particularly in times of great adversity and anxiety. Philippians chapter four, verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, what's the next phrase, you remember? With thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. In other words, when you are freaking out, And you're being tempted to to worry and be anxious. You're having the quote-unquote panic attack, right? Even in that moment, you are to be thankful as you pray to the Lord. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So as Christians, we need to come to grips with the fact that there is always something to be, to be thankful for even when we're in a difficult, distressing, painful situation. We can be grieving and still be thankful. We can be agonizing in pain and still be grateful. We can be angry at sin and its consequences and still be thankful. I read a story about the famous Bible commentator Matthew Henry who had a reputation for being thankful and would often invite others to to thank God with him for all of his blessings and he made it a point to notice all the many evidences of God's grace and expressions of God's goodness in his life and in, in the lives of others. And one time, 
Matthew Henry was robbed, and this is what he wrote in his journal. And I quote, let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. That's a grateful guy, isn't it? I'm not sure I responded that way when I was robbed. Back early on in our marriage, uh, it was at Christmas time, if I remember correctly, and I was at a mall up in Washington, and we were spending some time with Kelly's family, and uh, I was in the changing room um, trying on some jeans and, uh, at this mall, and so I remember walking in, and, and, uh, and, and the guy next to me in the next changing room was, was kind of chatty, and I thought, that's kind of strange. Normally, guys don't talk to each other in a bathroom or in a changing room, Okay. We ignore one another. We act like we're not there. But this guy was chatting it up with me, and I'm like, that's kind of weird, you know? So anyway, I'm like, you know, trying on these jeans. I thought I'll just, uh, you know, go out, and, and Kelly was waiting outside to take a look at him. So I w- walked out there, and, uh, and, and uh, she looked at him, and I came back in, and I was, uh, decided not to get him. And, and uh, so as I was getting my jeans back on, I noticed that my wallet wasn't in my back pocket. And I was like, that dude just stole my wallet. And so I ran out of the changing room, and sure enough, I looked down, and this guy was running down the aisle to the front doors of the mall. And so I took off running after the guy. And, uh, and in fact, if I remember correctly now, I, didn't, I actually had the jeans on that I was trying on. I'd gone in there, and I checked my wallet. Now, this guy's kind of fishy. I'm checking my wallet. And sure enough, my, so I'm running out there with these jeans that I'm, I haven't even bought yet, right? I'm like running out, and I ran through the front doors, ran out into the parking lot, and here comes this car racing up to the front door, going to pick him up. And so I'm thinking, here, this guy's got my wallet. And so for a moment, all those action movies that I had ever seen, where the, you, know, the, you jump on the hood of the car, and I thought, I could do that. I could do that right now. I could jump on. See, what my concern was, was that there was a key in that wallet that was for, I think, the car. Um, and I was concerned about that the, we wouldn't be able to get home. I could have my wallet. But anyway, I remember the, seeing these guys drive out. And let me just say, okay, can I be honest with you? I was not thankful. I was not grateful. I was no Matthew Henry, considering all the reasons why I should be thankful. Um, The point is, whenever we find ourselves in an unpleasant situation, we should make it a point to think of something for which we can be grateful. And we've done this over the years, especially when our kids were younger, and there might have been some complaining going on in our family. Um, And so we would say, okay, time out. Let's play the grateful game. Who's grateful? What's one thing you can be grateful for? in this situation, and really force the issue and, and, and force out grumbling, right, and complaining with, with gratitude. And it's not always easy to do that. It's hard to see the bright side of a trial, but our, our confidence in God's sovereignty reminds us that he is in control of everything and that he causes all things to what? 
to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. And the fact that God is up to something good, even in the bad things that are happening to us, is the basis or foundation for us to be thankful in everything rather than to get bitter and complain. When we forget that God is sovereign over all the circumstances we encounter in life and that he uses every circumstance to ultimately make us more like Christ, we have a tendency to complain or to grumble. And I think that's really the opposite of being grateful is grumbling and complaining. John Calvin said something so true and so convicting in his commentary on Job, talking about grumbling and complaining, he said this, quote, why is it that men fret so when God sends them things entirely contrary to their desires, except that they do not acknowledge that God does everything by reason and that he has just cause? As soon as God does not send what we have desired, we dispute against him. Not that we appear to do this, but our manner shows this nevertheless our intent. But from what spirit is this pronounced? From a poisoned heart, as if we said, you ready for this? The thing should have been otherwise. I see no reason for this. Now, we may have never said that, But by the way we're responding to this negative circumstance, that's essentially what we're saying. The thing should have been otherwise. I see no reason for this. Meanwhile, God will be condemned among us. This is how men exasperate themselves. And in this, what do they do? It's as if they accuse God of being a tyrant or a harebrained. Such horrible blasphemy blows out of the mouth of men. I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life when I am tempted to grumble and complain. Like on Friday when I was emptying the trash from Thanksgiving Day. We never emptied it, so I was taking out the trash from the kitchen through the house, through the garage, out to the sidewalk where the trash can was, and I came back into the house and noticed as I was walking back into the garage, there was this trail all the way through the doorway, down into, the, into our entryway, into our living room and dining room. Of all things, gravy. <laughs> A trail of gravy. Apparently, we had packed too much down into that trash can and it punctured the bottom. And I'm just, you know, taking this trash, you know, this trash bag out and I'm leaving this trail of gravy all the way out to the, to the, to the sidewalk. And uh, I wasn't very happy about that because that was a huge inconvenience for me because that meant I had to clean it. And if you know gravy, it's really greasy and sticky. Well, the dogs enjoyed it at least because they were licking the carpet where it had gone before I got to it. Um, They were helping me clean. But uh, I I essentially was thinking to myself, God, I see no reason for this. (laughs) I see no reason for this. Um, I 
speaking of dogs, had a similar experience this morning when I let the dogs out. We have three dogs. I've told you about these three dogs. And uh, the smartest one of the three has um, been affectionately nicknamed Knucklehead because while he's intelligent, he lacks the common sense literally to come in out of the rain. So you know those kind of people, right? They're really smart, but they, it's like, come in out of the rain. Well, this guy goes out. The other two, they're out. Do their business. Get back in as quick as possible. They don't want to be out there. They ain't no business being out in the rain. Well, this guy just kind of stands out there and hangs out. He does his business, and he just, he just kind of standing there. And I'm like, and it's early in the morning. I'm in my bathroom. I'm like, come on. You know, people are neighbors. Hey, psh, come on. Get in here. Come on. And he's just, he just standing there. Like, I'm not even saying nothing. He's not even listening to me. And this, this dog, he's had this bonehead. He's had this knucklehead. Hey, hey, psh, clapping my hands. So finally, I have to go out there in the yard in the rain, and I could relate to Moses. When Moses got angry, and instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. So instead of speaking to my dog, I struck my dog. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and he realized it was time to come in. And, uh, and so, I don't know, have you, ever, have you ever asked your dog forgiveness? I feel like I had to ask my dog to forgive me this morning. I was like, I, 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 I struck him in anger, and so I did. We, we made up. I invited him over next to my desk while I was finishing up my message, and I was just petting him and making sure he knew I loved him. And, but, uh, but, I was, but I'm sitting there. And I'm thinking, there's no reason for this, God. Why does this dog not just come in? Why doesn't he just obey? I don't have time for this, okay? I got other things I got to do, way more important things. I got this Sunday preparing to preach. Lord, you know. Basically, what I'm thinking and saying in those moments and what you're thinking and saying in those moments is, God, I'm wiser than you, and you need to explain this one to me. And I think every day we're, we're faced with similar situations which, which tempt us to grumble rather than to be grateful. And I, those are silly, stupid little things. Gravy and a dog in the backyard, right, in the rain. But how about when you get that unexpected bill in the mail? And your thought is, I see no reason for this. <laughs> Why are we getting billed for this? Or you get that critical email from someone that you've just tried to love and serve and then no good deed goes unpunished, right? I see no reason for this, God. Or you receive that diagnosis from your doctor. I see no reason for this. You have that difficult conversation with your spouse. Or let's just call it what it is. You had a fight with your spouse and you're just like, I, I don't see any reason for this, God. Why, why does it have to be this way? Or you have that challenging encounter with one of your children. I see no reason for this. And at the end of the day, it's the kindness of God that at some point he doesn't say to us, you know, I see no reason for you, okay? I mean, it is his grace, even though we are blowing this horrible blasphemy out of our mouth. I love the the story, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom, you have uh, probably are familiar with this. You've heard me share this story, but it, it fits well in, in, in light of this verse. Um, but Corey Ten Boom uh, relates an incident that taught her to always be thankful. She and her sister, sister Betsy had just been transferred to the worst German concentration camp that they had been to. Yet it was Ravensbuck, 
excuse me, Ravensbrück. And when they got into the barracks, they found that it was extremely overcrowded. That, and then if that wasn't bad enough, it was infested with fleas. And that, that morning, in the providence of God, they had read 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Betsy told Corey to thank the Lord for every detail of their new living quarters, including the fleas. And at first, Corey just said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. She refused to give thanks for the fleas, but her sister persisted, and Corey finally got up the strength and thanked God for the fleas. And during the months that they spent at that camp, they were surprised that they could openly study God's word. They could have prayer meetings without interference from the guards. Well, it wasn't until later that they learned the reason the guards never entered the barracks was they knew it was flea infested. And so they wanted to stay away. And so God, thank you for the fleas. So that's the what, give thanks, and the when, and everything. How about the why? Why are we to give thanks in everything? Well, notice it says, for this is God's will for you. This is what God wants for you. This is what God wants for me. This is not all of God's will for our lives, but this is a significant part of it. And we know that God reveals his will through his word. His word is his will. And thankfulness is a prominent theme throughout the scriptures. The Bible is filled with commands and and exhortations and encouragements and invitations to give thanks to God, along with many examples of people who do just that. And time would not permit us this morning to, to look at all the verses and passages, but suffice it to say, just in the Psalms alone, the expression give thanks is used close to 50 times. So you can't read the Bible without seeing that God desires for us to be thankful and to express our thanks to him for who he is and what he has done for us. In fact, ingratitude grieves the heart of God. If you ever wonder what God is like, look at Jesus, because Jesus is God, right? Luke 17 Luke records the story of the 10 lepers who Jesus cleansed. Luke 17, verse 11, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at his feet giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus was grieved, he was saddened, and perhaps even shocked that all 10 of those lepers hadn't run back to him and fell on their faces and thanked him. There was only one. In other words, don't be, don't be those nine lepers, right? If God has shown mercy to you, if he has saved you, then you be on your face before Jesus thanking him 
and praising him and glorifying God for your salvation. So the reason why we are to do this is because it, it, it is the will of God and it, and it glorifies him when we praise him and when we thank him. The last question that we need to ask this verse is how? How? How are we to do this? How are we to give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you? How are we supposed to do this? Well, what does it say? What's the last phrase? In Christ Jesus. Another way you could say this, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. So this final prepositional phrase, in Christ Jesus, reminds us that Jesus Christ not only showed us how God wants us to live, but he also makes it possible for us to live how God wants us to live, specifically giving thanks in everything. Leon Morris, one of my favorite commentators, says this, quote, God's will is made known in Christ, and it is Christ that we are given Excuse me, it is in Christ that we are given the dynamic that enables us to carry out that divine will. So God shows us his will in Christ and then he empowers us through Christ who dwells in us by the Holy Spirit, right, to carry out his will. So what God commands us to do through the Apostle Paul in this verse is completely unnatural for, for sinful creatures like us. We are not by nature thankful in all circumstances. Our natural tendency is to be what? To be ungrateful and to complain and to gripe and to groan and to, to, to grumble. I mean, every one of us had to learn to be thankful, had to be taught to say please and thank you. Right? Some of you are in the process of teaching your children that right now because they don't naturally say thank you. You had to teach them to say thank you. And ungratefulness is a common characteristic of unbelievers. If, 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 if gratefulness is a way of life for believers, it's a way of life, uh, ingratitude, being ungrateful is a way of life for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You may remember from the very first chapter of Romans, Romans chapter one, talking about God's wrath going to be revealed at some point against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse for even though they knew God they did not honor him as God or give, remember what? Or give thanks. In 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 1, it, Paul describes how the last days will be like, or what the last days will be like. Second Timothy chapter 3, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. I mean, he's got... He's got ungrateful right next to unholy. 
In other words, these sins are on the same level. And yet, and yet in, in, in spite of man's characteristic, thankless attitude toward God, God continues to be kind and gracious toward us. You remember in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus was instructing his disciples to, to love their enemies, to do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. He says in verse 35, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So that's what God puts up with every day. People receiving his many blessings like you woke up this morning that your lungs are working right now, your heart is beating and your lungs are pumping. You had food to eat, you had clothes to wear, you had a house to live in, you had cars to drive, right? These are all gifts from God and how many people go through life and never once consider the connection between God and their stuff or God and their next breath? One of my favorite quotes from A.W. Pink's classic little book, The Attributes of God. If you've never read that, I would highly recommend it. Talking about the goodness of God, he said this, when I consider how the goodness of God is abused by the greatest part of mankind, I cannot but be of his mind that said, the greatest miracle in the world is God's patience and bounty to an ungrateful world. He said this, if a king has an enemy held up in one of his towns, he does not send them in provision, but lays siege to the place and does what he can to starve them out. But the great God that could wink all of us, or excuse me, all of his enemies into destruction bears with them and is at daily cost to maintain them. Well, may he command us to bless them that curse us who himself does good to the evil and unthankful. That's our God. And when we're unthankful, we are acting like unbelievers. There's nothing more pagan than ingratitude. And one of the easiest ways to set ourselves apart from, from the pagan world around us is to simply be a grateful person who doesn't grumble and complain. I mean, just, just that alone. You think about it, at your work, how much, how much grumbling and complaining do you hear? At your school, how much grumbling and complaining do you hear about the, the class, the professor, the test, the assignment? How about in your subdivision, at the POA meeting, right? How much grumbling and complaining do you hear? Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without what? grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Let your light shine before men that might, they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. One of the simplest ways to be salt and light in this world, in your neighborhood, at your work, at your school, at your gym, wherever, right, is 
to not complain, to do everything without complaining, but just being grateful. But we need to realize that what we're talking about here, becoming a grateful person, requires God to do a supernatural work in our hearts. It is impossible to have the kind of attitude that God commands here in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he says, in Christ Jesus. You have to be in Christ to be able to do this. And so when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, being thankful in every circumstance, as one man put it, becomes a glorious possibility. Colossians 2, verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. Again, what is one of the fruits that you're truly saved? Your, your heart, your mouth, your mind overflows with gratitude. Hebrews 13, 15, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. If you claim to be a Christian, then one of the evidences of that is that you are overflowing with gratitude. You're just a grateful person. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're tempted to complain and you get stumped playing the grateful game, like, um, I don't think, I can't really think of anything I'm grateful for right now in this situation. This really stinks. Well, guess what? There's always a default answer that you could use anytime you play the grateful game. And that is you're thankful that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that your sins are forgiven. And that you have the hope of heaven, which is, by the way, far better than any of us deserve. So, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, don't miss that phrase. Don't breeze over that phrase. That's critical to understanding how to become this type of person. Because Jesus is both the model and the means of this attitude of gratitude that Paul was proposing here. One last passage to consider when it comes to the, to the example of Jesus. How did he model this for us? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul was giving instruction to the church in Corinth about the Lord's Supper or communion. And so he was just repeating what the Lord had told him about communion, and this is what it says, for I receive from the Lord, this is 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. for I receive from the Lord Jesus that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here's a record of the first communion ever. And it's really the ultimate example of giving thanks in 
everything. Because it says that Jesus gave thanks. And it just so happened to be on the night in which he was what? Betrayed. So he was about to be betrayed by one of his own disciples. He was about to be abandoned by the rest of them. He was about to be arrested and falsely accused and brutally beaten beyond recognition and then nailed to a cross and left to die. And yet knowing all this, he took the bread representing his body that was about to be broken and the wine representing his blood that was about to be spilled and he gave what? Thanks. He was thankful. How much more should we give thanks for the gift of salvation that Christ secured for us when he died in our place. 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So what's the key to developing and maintaining an attitude of gratitude? It's staying focused on the cross. Staying focused on fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me give you some suggestions, though, beyond that, as we focus on the cross, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, how, how can we cultivate a more grateful attitude? Just, just a few practical suggestions, okay? Number one, begin every day by expressing your gratitude to God and purposing to be grateful no matter what happens that day. I mean, hopefully you're in the habit of starting your day with prayer. And so this would be something that you can incorporate into your time of prayer in the morning is just expressing your gratitude to God and, and, and purposing to be grateful no matter what happens that day. Lord, help me. Grant me the grace that no matter what happens that day, that I would be grateful. Number two, throughout the day, be mindful be aware of the many evidences of God's grace, the many expressions of God's goodness in your life and in the lives of those around you. So just be on the lookout. Have your radar up. Have your antenna up, if you will, looking for evidences of God's grace, looking for expressions of God's goodness, and just, just the little things of life. And tell others what you're thankful for. And ask them what they're thankful for. That just, just, just get in the habit. That would be number three. Just, just get in the habit of telling people, hey, you know what I'm thankful for today? Or, um, hey, what are you thankful for today? Just, just that question, just posing that question to someone just stimulates gratitude in, in others. Number four, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, always ask yourself, what is one thing I can be thankful for in this situation. But what's one thing I can be thankful for in this situation? And I already gave you the easy answer, right? Hey, you know what? I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, <laughs> right? How about this? Number five, end each day the same way you started the day by thanking God for sustaining you and providing for you that day. So book in the day with a prayer of thanks to the Lord. And then lastly, always remember that no matter what is going on in your life, you can always be thankful for your salvation. 
That's just what we have to remember. No matter what is going on in our lives, we can always be thankful for our salvation. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We as the people of God should be the most grateful people on the planet. Why? Because we know we've been saved from death and hell and our future is secure in Christ that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And there's some good application even now as we look at the politics and what's going on in our country, right? It's easy to to not be grateful and to grumble and complain or maybe even become fearful and anxious, but we need to remember that we have received a kingdom that can't be shaken. We can be grateful. And bottom line, being thankful glorifies God. Being thankful glorifies God. 2 Corinthians 4.15, for all things are for our sakes, Paul said, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Gratitude glorifies God. Let's pray. Father, we desire to glorify you. You made us for your glory. We know that that's why we're here. And one of the simplest ways that we can glorify you is just by being grateful. And Lord, we confess that we are oftentimes ungrateful. And we fall back into that natural bent of being thankless that you saved us from in Christ. And Lord, when life gets hard and difficult and we're tempted to complain and to grumble, I pray that you remind us of our salvation in Christ, that our kingdom, Father, that we're a part of, your kingdom that is secure, your kingdom that's eternal, And so that no matter what frustrations we're facing, no matter what pain we're experiencing, what griefs you've called us to bear, Lord, that we would give thanks because we know this is your will for us in Christ. Thank you that we're in Christ, that Christ is in us through his Holy Spirit who makes this possible the Holy Spirit, and ask you to help us to live out this verse for the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.